Hey, if you're a guest, I'm David, and I'm the pastor. And I want you to know that you're welcome. Anytime we have something going on, you're welcome to come, be a part of it. We, we love having you. Uh, we've had a crazy week this past week. You know, for so long, we just really haven't done anything. And we're, we're an event-oriented church. When we do, we do events, and that's how we connect with people, get people here. And we haven't done any in this last week. We had the food trucks here on Wednesday night, and that was great. And then we had vacation Bible school the last three days. How cool is that? I mean, yeah, because y'all are working. Y'all know how cool it is. And the thing about VBS is I've never had it in October before. I did something new. I mean, I'm, I'm what, 45, 50 years old, something like that. I've never something new this week. So that's pretty cool. And you had jackets on for VBS. And this week's going to be crazy also. We got worship under the stars on Friday night. Come. That's, that's gonna be, it's going to be chilly that night, it looks like. And then Sunday's epic Sunday, and we do this every year, and it's fantastic. And we're going to have, you know, y'all you know, come at 945. You're pretty regular. You leave at 11. But go home, get, get some comfortable clothes, come back, bring some lawn chairs and stuff. and bring. We're going to have some barbecue, and we're going to baptism and, and, and dedicate the kids. And, you know, when you dedicate the babies, you've got to keep them away from the baptism waters. You don't want to give them like a Reese's peanut butter and get them all confused or something like that and drop them in the water. And their kids think they're being baptized. We don't do that. But... It's going to be a blast, and, and I know, and I know all the stuff's going on, and I, and I get it. And south of us is the state police, okay? They enforce everything. We have a great relationship with them, I want you to know. Uh, in fact, my relationship with them is so good, two, three times a week, they just like to pull me over on the highway to talk, you know? <laughs> Sometimes I'll be flying by one and see one wave, and I'll just pull over and wave from them because they'll be coming, you know? <laughs> I'm here. Good to see you again, you know? So, listen, I mean, I, I get it all. I do. I'm, not, despite what you read on social media and other places, we ain't that dumb. We, we, they know what's going on, okay? They know what's going on right now. You know, there's, there's cameras just focused on you, and they're recording your names and faces and all that. <laughs> so, we're good, okay? Uh, we're in a series uh, that began the 1st of September entitled The Man After God's Own Heart. It really, we're ending it next week. And these last two weeks, we're just kind of the life of David. And in fact, this is the last week in the Old Testament. Next week, we're going to be looking at something in the New Testament. And, and David's just this tremendous man. We just began with the story of Goliath, his unbelievable faith in God. He obeyed God. And then we've seen the last few weeks, though, David was sinned. We saw the cruelty of sin. I mean, so he's just a real guy. And I think one of the things that makes David so appealing is just his realness. We can relate to that guy and he lives his life. And at the same time, he's, he's so special. And we're going to see really today what makes him special. We're going to be in the very last chapter of 2 Samuel. It's the chapter, it really kind of ends the David story. And uh, in, in a sermon entitled, That Which Cost Me Nothing. Because we're going to see from David's perspective, he never gave to God anything other than himself. And uh, so here, here's what the passage says, verse 18. Gad came to David that day and said to him, Go up, erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arona, the Jebusite. And David went up according to the word of God, just as the Lord had commanded. Arona looked down and saw the king and his servants crossing over towards him. And Arona went out and bowed his face to the ground before the king. And Arona said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, to buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord that the plague may be held back from the people. And Arona said to David, let my Lord the king take up, uh, take and offer up what is good in his sight. Look, the oxen for the burnt offering, the threshing sledges and the yokes of the oxen for the wood. Everything, O king, Arona gives to the king. And Arona said to the king, may the Lord your God accept you. However, the king said to Arona, no, but I will surely Buy it from you for a price, for I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which cost me nothing. 
And so David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And thus the Lord was moved by prayer for the land and the plague was held back from Israel. So here's the thing that I want you to get from this message today about this man after God's own heart, this man who lived his life to honor God. And it's this, honoring God is not about contributing something from your life to him. It's not about you making a contribution. It is about committing your life to him. Honoring God is ultimately about the commitment of your life. So I'm going to begin uh, the message today talking about that which is special. I've shared with you at the very beginning of the series. And really, whenever I spend much time in the Old Testament, you know, I know it can be difficult in the Old Testament. I know if you're not, you know, if you're fairly new to Christianity, if you're not a Christian, or if you were not churched much, it's hard. And the Old Testament can be confusing. And one of the things I shared is, understand this, the, three, the Old Testament revolves around three guys. It's God revealing himself. But there are three main guys, and almost all of it somehow in some way will connect to one of these guys. Even things hundreds of years removed from them will connect back to them. And those guys are Abraham, Moses, and David. And David cast a shadow that, you know, he's, he's king, you know, circa 1000 B.C. You're right in there until about 960. For the, for the rest of the Old Testament period, David's shadow they all live under that shadow. I mean, th- th- these guys are tremendously important, and they have connections themselves. And Abraham and David have connection. And, and part of the connection has to do with the location of this place. What Moriah, as it's called, Mount Moriah, the threshing floor of Arona, the Jebusite. Uh, uh, in Genesis 22, God told Abraham, go to Moriah. And here we're in, we're in 2 Samuel 24, and David shows up to Moriah. It's where the, where the plague is going to come to an end, as we'll see in a few moments. Later on, that site will be the place where the temple of Solomon was built. And, and that temple was destroyed in 587, and another one was built in around 517 B.C., and that's the one Jesus would come worship at. I mean, this is a critical place. Now, when you come to chapter 24, we're, we're coming to the end of the socket of David. And you turn the page, and there's kings, and, and David's still alive. But really, it's transitioning from David to Solomon. This, this is going to really be it for the whole David story. And uh, you, we, we find also in 1 Chronicles 21, there's a parallel passage. Just so you'll know that for reference sake. And uh, David starts this last chapter out. And this doesn't mean it's the last event of his life. It's just the last thing to share with you. And I told you before, chronology is not as important as the, the topic. And, and they're dealing with the end of David kind of in, in the story perspective. David's going to take a census of all the people. Now, in and of itself, a census wasn't wrong. I mean, in, in the Old Testament, there were, uh, in, in the law t- section, you know, Moses took a census. You know, there were times people were counted. You got to count. You know, we're, we're counting you. You know, we count. People count. Got to know things. It's not the issue. It was the rationale behind taking the census. And what becomes clear is the reason that David took the census was because of pride. He wanted to know how many soldiers he had just at his disposal because of his greatness. David was the greatest king in the world. He's the most powerful king there was. He conquered all these kingdoms. There were plenty of people who served him. He wanted to know how many, just in Israel and Judah, just how many of his people were soldiers. And his general, Joab, he went out to take it, said, man, David, don't do this. David said, no, I want to know. I want to know how many of my guys there are. And so he went out and he took the census. And there was 800,000 soldiers in Israel and 500,000 soldiers in Judah. Uh, and, and he just had a bunch. And it was a source of great pride. But verse 10 of 2 Samuel 24 tells us that David realized the error of his ways. So here's what it says in the New Living Translation. But after he had taken the census, David's conscience began to bother him. And he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly by taking the census. Please forgive my guilt, Lord, for doing this foolish thing. He said, I've sinned. I get it. 
He didn't even have to be prompted. He already knew he sinned. No one had to come to him. After he confessed this, God sent one of the prophets. Now, there were three prophets that dealt in David's world. The first was Samuel. Samuel's gone. Then he had two prophets he dealt with as king uh, that, that were there at the same time. Uh, Nathan, which we've seen already, and Gad. God came to Gad. Gad came to David and said, it's a good thing that you've repented. That's great. But you still have to be punished for your sin. I mean, there's still a consequence of sin. We saw that last week. The cruelty of sin. If you struggle with this, go back and listen to last week's message. It's online. You can do that. And so you deal with the cruelty of sin. He said to David, you got a choice. Do you want years, years of famine where people will starve? You want months of war and you'll have to flee? Or do you want days of a plague? And David said, I want to be in the hands of the Lord. I'll take the plague. Now, he understood that the famine, which would last a long time, seven years. Uh, David was in no real danger of the famine, by the way. He would always, he's the king, he'll have faith. You notice that the rich never suffer when, when times are rough. They all do okay. And, and in war, even though he may have to flee, he already knew from Absalom, he'd be okay. He'd be protected. But a plague, he was susceptible to that just like everyone else. And the other thing is that's three days of plague. When you get to the fourth day, if you, if you pick the months of the year after day four, you're saying, what was I thinking? This could all be over with. So he trusts the Lord, gives it in to his hands, and the angel of death comes in a period of time, and 70,000 of those men, plus whatever else, 70,000 just men had died. Other people had died too, and the angel of the death is at, at Jerusalem. And, and there's a series of events that they kind of overlap. When you read the story, there's overlapping verses of some things you see, you read out, and some other verses come back and kind of overlap that. But in essence, the Lord is going to say, stop. Stop what you're doing at the threshing floor of Ramona. And then in verse 17, this is what David says, or what happens. When David saw the angel, he said to the Lord, the angel's at Jerusalem about, about to strike him down. He said, I'm the one who has sinned and done wrong, but these people are as innocent as sheep. What have they done? And notice what he says, let your anger fall against me and my family. See, David said, these people, he looked at Jerusalem, they're, innocent, they're sheep. Now, that's not a derogatory term. David was, was an old shepherd from way, way back. And, and shepherds took care of the sheep. He, those people were his sheep. He was supposed to take care of them, and he failed. See, God, they didn't do wrong. I did wrong. So he said, whatever death is left, let it be my death. Let it be the death of my family. David, I mean, that's the true sign of repentance. The, the changing of the course of your life, moving away from sin back to God and understanding you need to be the one to deal with that. And at that point, it, it ends. And, and God said, there's enough. And so he tells Gad, go get David and say, I want you to do something. I want you to build. I want you to do that. I want you to build an altar right there, right there at the threshing floor of Ramona. And so David goes to Ramona and says, you know, we're through. And Ramona sees David and, you know, Ramona knows what's going on. And there's death coming. Here comes the king. And, you know, Ramona bows down. And, and, and David said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take all this and, and I need to build an altar to the Lord. The thing is stop. We need to praise him. And Ramona said, that's fantastic news. Take everything I have. <laughs> Plague's going to stop. Take it. And David says, no, I'm not just going to take it. I'll pay for you. And, and, and he builds, this, builds the altar to, to, to worship there. Verse 24 becomes so critical. Here's what verse 24 says. This, this, listen, this is really the last part of David's life. And it just, it's an amazing verse. We just gloss over it, but it really is. However, the king said to Arona, no, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. It's not, that's not the key. Here's the key. This is the key to David's life. This little phrase. For I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord, my God, which cost me 
nothing. And David bought the floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. Now, we just gloss over that. We don't see. Here's, what, here's, here's the importance of all this. It's critical. The next verse, this ends the story of David. The next verse says there was a burnt offering and a peace offering. Now, the burnt offering, what was critical to the burnt offering, is he took the ox and the whole thing was offered as a sacrifice for David. He took the oxen, gave all of it, and that oxen, get this, became the substitute for David. David's saying, I'm the one that sinned, and I'm going to take it, and I'm offering this. And all this burned up. Sometimes, you know, they would offer you know, animals up as sin sacrifices, and they would slay it, and they would burn part, and they would offer some of it up, and then the rest they would keep to feed everybody, and that was, that was cool. But not this. There's certain offerings. This, this is everything. That oxen was the substitute for David, because David is saying, I'm the one that deserves to die. But I'm so committed to you, Lord, that I'm not going to die. I mean, you know, we all deserve to die after our sin. But if we always died after our sin, we'd sin once. That's it. I mean, no second chances. And so this is before Jesus. Because, you know, the human side of Jesus was still technically in the loins of David. So David says, here is the substitute for my life, which I'm giving to you. David made a commitment. Here's the thing. David's commitment was his life. It wasn't some money. It wasn't an oxen. It was his life he commits. And this is how the story ends. And, we don't, some, and most of the time, we don't even get this. We don't, oh, that's a weird ending. Even next page. Oh, it's King Solomon's coming up. David's old. You know, as some young girl come, you know, help keep him warm. And there's a fight in Solomon, and he dies. And we just gloss over the whole importance of this. This sums up David's life. His total commitment of himself to God. He was the man after God's own heart. He was the man who honored God in his life. And a special life comes to a special ending, honoring God. And that's it. And it ends. So here's the thing. That which is special was David's commitment. Because... What God wants from us is us. We've never sometimes really grasped it. All God wants from us is just us. Just us. So I'm going to talk to you about commitments and contributions. And don't worry, I'm not talking about money. Two weeks, November 1st, I'm talking about money. <laughs> worry then. You need to show up. It's not going to be bad. It's just one message over 12 weeks. But it's not that bad, you know. <laughs> Once a year, if you're new, once a year, I'll talk about money. Man, you know, next year we got a campaign coming to raise funds for the new building. But once a year I talk about money. That's it. It's not going to hurt you. But this is about contributions of, your, of yourself or commitments. You know, some of you probably already had breakfast today. You know, maybe you had that good old American breakfast. You know, I always like to go to a restaurant, American breakfast, eggs, bacon. You know, and eggs, bacon, milk, maybe some coffee with cream. You think about it. You know, to, to get those eggs, that chicken makes a contribution, doesn't it? And you're going to have a little milk, a little cream, maybe some butter, cheese. That cow makes a contribution. You're going to have bacon. The pig don't make no contribution. The pig makes a commitment. <laughs> I'll tell you, here's what we need in Christianity. You mark this, you can write this down. We need fewer chickens and cows. We need more pigs in the church. That's that doesn't work. That just never, I've tried that. I've patented that phrase. I've had t-shirts. I've had bumper stickers. This doesn't work. <laughs> Too many people 
want to contribute something to God and call it faith. Too many people. They almost want to give something to God. Say we're good. That's faith. And say, you know, God, I'm, I'm going to give my mind, I'm going to give my intellect, I'm going to give my recognition to you. You, you exist. I'll, people don't think you exist. I know you exist. And I know, I know the Bible comes from you, and I know the whole Christmas thing, and I know the Easter thing, and, and we're good, and I believe that, God. That's my con- I'm giving you that. The rest of my life is mine. I'm going to go live my way. All I'll say, God, I'm going to give you a little bit of time. I'm going to give you some money. I'm going to show up to church. I'm going to do a few things. I'm making some contributions for my life. God, we're good. The rest of my life's mine. It's not how it works. Genesis 22. God said to Abraham, you go to Moriah. Now, here's the thing. He said, you go to Moriah, and you sacrifice your son, your only son, Isaac, who you love. And you got to understand, God didn't want a human sacrifice. God abhorred human sacrifice. People say, why? Why did God say, go sacrifice your son, Isaac? You know, and preachers say, well, God was testing Isaac. No, God wasn't testing Isaac for himself. God knew all about Isaac. God was trying, I mean, about Abraham. God wasn't testing Abraham for himself. He knew all about Abraham. God was trying to help Abraham learn something about himself. God wanted Abraham to see his absolute commitment to him because God already knew it. Way back in Genesis 12, God said, I'm going to bless the whole world through you, Abraham. You're a pagan. I'm taking you from pagans. You're gonna, the whole world's being blessed through you. And ultimately, that's in Jesus Christ. We know that. On Wednesday nights in Grove, we're talking about that from the book of Galatians. That's what Paul writes. The promise to Abraham wasn't the people of Israel. That was the means to the end. It was ultimately Jesus. And that was going to come through Isaac, his son. He even said, it's your only son whom you love. That's not the only son he ever had. Abraham had seven sons. I know that because we used to sing that song to my daughter. Father Abraham had seven sons. Seven sons had Father Abraham. And then we do some motions. That's how, I don't know it because it's Genesis. It's there. I know it because of the silly, stupid song. I can't get out of my mind the rest of the day. But the only son that mattered, and I didn't listen to the other six sons didn't like this, but the only son that mattered really for the promise was Isaac. He, and so Abraham, he takes Isaac. All of the promise of God was in Isaac. Everything was in Isaac. And he takes Isaac, and he's going to kill Isaac. Why? Because in Hebrews 11, we're told, he believed God would raise him from the dead. Isaac. The son of Abraham would be raised up, and Abraham committed everything he had to God because he completely trusted God. David comes here and gives this ox and says, God, my whole life belongs to you. Jesus would come to this place where the temple would be, and not too far from there, he would die on a cross. God would raise him back to life. David would give, I mean, Jesus would give everything to us for our sins. That's the lineage that happens at this place. So when you end the Old Testament at Malachi and you flip the page and it says the New Testament, you flip the page and there is the book of Matthew. This is how Matthew begins. The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham. Do you understand the connection? The son from the human perspective of the ultimate commitment of life. Scott, all God ever asked. Come in our life. You know what we want to do is we want to give a little contribution to God. We're going to give you something to God. Here's the thing. So important. God doesn't want or need your contribution to the church or Christianity. God doesn't need anything you have to contribute. 
But he demands your commitment to him. I am a very proud two-time graduate of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, the single greatest seminary the world has ever known. Got my master's, got my doctorate from there. Interesting thing is, on my master's, I never actually went to Fort Worth to get any of my master's. Back when I was in school, back in, in somewhere in the 80s, this is before the internet. This is before all your fancy Zoom things. These college kids and these kids are going, their professors are remote and they're Zooming and they're asking stuff online and doing all that fancy stuff. We didn't have any of that fancy stuff you guys got today. We had to meet the dude face to face. But on Mondays, you know, they didn't have seminary up at the hill. It's Fort Worth called the hill. Well, the professors would disperse to three different places throughout the country, two of them in Texas, one in Oklahoma. That's the country <laughs> when you're from Dallas in the area and San Texas. Texas is the world in Oklahoma a little bit. You guys didn't even exist to us. They come to San Antonio. I did all my seminary work for my master's degree out of San Antonio, and my doctor had to go up there. But the guys would come down, the professors and teachers. Now, here's the thing. In, in, in Fort Worth, there's some gorgeous buildings. There's one building called the Riley Center. Oh, it's gorgeous. And, uh, a and you go in the Riley Center, I've been there many times, there's a wall, and it's got all, all these people that donated money on that wall, they contributors. One of the ladies on there was a member of my church down in First Baptist Laredo. I remember when they were building the Riley Center, and they kept calling me up, can we meet with Mrs. Bell? And that, the, school, the seminary would call, and the foreign mission board, or the international mission board would call. Everybody called me with her to get her money. I'm like, no, I'm not going to let you have access to her money. I want her money. Why would I let you come get money? Her picture's on there. And all these things were contributing. But, but they, didn't, they didn't do anything for me. I mean, it was those men that made, and women that made a difference in my life. And one, Dr. Tommy Lee. Dr. Lee was my uh, Greek professor in, in New Testament. Dr. Lee come down. And Dr. Lee, he would tell us. And Dr. Lee was so important in my life. I had a really tough time in my doctorate. Dr. Lee, when I was about to give up getting my, my DME, and Dr. Lee just met with me and, and slapped me upside the head and got me back straight. But Dr. Lee would say, Greek's tough, guys. So every day, you got to get your brick. And he said, in life period, every day, you just got to get your brick. And that brick w w was the essence, the foundation, the, the nuts and bolts of what it means to have faith. Get your brick. Dr. Uri also taught me New Testament. Dr. Uri, Thomas Uri, Dr. Uri would be my, uh, he'd be my advisor for my doctorate. And, do and Dr. Uri, big man, but so emotional. He would always, every class I had him in, he would talk about the time he got robbed, and he would say, Look at us preacher guys. He said, boys, men, that which you could hold in your hand one day will perish. That which is eternal is what lasts. Oh, yeah, that's good. And then Dr. Nelson, Jimmy Nelson was my, my preaching professor. He was also, eventually, he was the head of the doctoral program. That's why these guys were important in my life. And Dr. Nelson taught me how to preach. And we'd do preaching class, and he'd just kill me. He would just tear my sermons apart. He would just rip them to shreds. One day I asked him, Dr. Nelson, why are you so hard on my sermons? He said, David, you're not any good. Got to help you get better for those poor people that got to listen to you all those years. He would say, when nothing, you don't know what else to say in life. Guys, here's what you do. You just tell people about Jesus. A few months back, it was hard, man. I got to be honest. I don't know. I, I, you know, all this stuff going on, pulled in all these directions and just saying, God, what are we going to do? I'm the pastor. I, I, I serve these people and I got to serve them right now by making a decision. So what are we going to do, God? And, and, and you know what I needed? I needed advice. I needed my mentors. All three of those guys were my mentors. They and a couple of others. Here's the thing. I've lived so blooming long. All my mentors have gone to be with Jesus. All but one. He can't help me anymore. I had no one to go to. 
I needed advice because I had no clue what to do. So I said, God, what if those guys were there? Here, what if those three men who impacted my life were here? What would they tell me? And I'm, 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 this is what I'm doing. I mean, I'm doing this. And I'm praying this. I said, well, here's what Dr. Lee would tell me. He would say, David, get your brick, man. Go find that brick. What is it that matters? What's the one, two things that matter? Get your brick. Dr. Early, he said, Brother Burroughs, that's what he was calling. Brother Burroughs said, if you can touch it, you can hold it, you can feel it, you can see it, it doesn't matter. What is going to last for an eternity? Dr. Nelson would look at me and he would first analyze my other sermons and take them apart for the last few couple of weeks. And he would say, David, David, give them Jesus. And when that period that went on for a while was over, I got up and I knew exactly what to do. And I haven't deviated from it since. Because here's why. I thought about the men who committed themselves to my life and what they would tell me. And no one who ever contributed anything ever came up in the conversation. Because the contributors didn't matter. It's just a commitment that matters. Listen, contributions don't matter. It's the commitment that matters. There are people right now who need Jesus, and you know they need Jesus. And, it's, and you're praying for them, and that's fine. And you say an encouraging word, that's fine. You're contributing some things, and that's fine. But what they need from you is not a contribution. No, 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 no. What they need you to do is to commit yourself to helping them come to know Jesus. There are people who are so lonely right now and hurting so much through all this garbage. And they're isolated, and, and, and there's nowhere to turn. And you're part of their life to some degree. And, and yeah, you, 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 can, you, you can pat them on the back, and you can encourage them. But what they need from you, what they need from you is to commit yourself to being a part of their life. Commit yourself to taking this journey with them. To get them on the other side with Jesus. Our children. We had vacation Bible school last week. Why? Not because we had already spent that money and done all the work beforehand. <laughs> because we understand children and our youth who right now are over at Burger King and Jack in the Box. We're the church that sends kids to the fast food place. <laughs> because they need to know the Lord. We need to teach them about Jesus. It is our commitment. We don't want to contribute something to them. We want to be committed to them. Next week, we're making a commitment of our life. And here is God who loves us, who made a commitment to us in Jesus, who sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. And God doesn't ask us for a contribution. He doesn't ask us just to give something a little bit back to him. All God asks for from us is our life. It's all he wants is our life. Jesus gave his life for us and wants us to give our life to him. And there was David back in the Old Testament before Jesus. And he, and, and he sinned. Oh, gosh. Have we not seen that the last three weeks? And here, here he is with all this pride. And I'm like, oh my gosh, do I understand that? 
and mistake after mistake after mistake. And here's what the Old Testament says about him. And we'll see this next week. This is what the New Testament says about him. He was the man after God's own heart. He was the man who honored God. Why? Because he never gave God that which cost him nothing. He gave God that which cost him everything. His life. To have a heart for God and to honor God ultimately is to have a commitment to God. And that is through Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this question. When it comes to God, how many of you are just contributors? That's just all you are. Maybe today you need to make a commitment. And you need to tell God, here's my life. And I'm going to give it to you. And I don't understand all that Old Testament stuff. And I don't get some of the things that are in the Bible. And I, I have some doubts, absolutely. But I know Jesus committed his life to me and died and you brought him back to life. And somehow Abraham understood what it meant to make a commitment. And somehow David understood what it make, meant to make a commitment. And so I'm going to take that, those examples. I'm going to take my life. I'll make a commitment, God. I'm going to give my life to you through faith in Jesus. You can do that right where you are. In just a moment, some of us will be standing right here. Uh, ladies, if you want to talk to another lady, there'll be at least one lady up here too. And you can go some say, I want to give my life to Christ. Some of you need to repent of your sin. You're, you're living in sin, and you just got to turn and, like David and say, it's enough. Maybe today you need to confess and remove that sin in your life. And some of you, you're followers of Jesus, and you're committed. But lately, you've just been living like contributors. So when are you going to stop living like a contributor and live like someone who's committed, which you say you are? And maybe today you say, today, Lord, no more contributions. It's just commitment. And so, Father, when, when you come to David, it's just this amazing life. <laughs> His shadow is just cast everywhere in the rest of the Old Testament. And he's just this guy who sinned more than us. Yet at the end of the day, he had such a heart for you. He lived his life to honor you. We want that. God, I want that. I want that life. And the only way that life is possible is the commitment David had to give you everything. So let us now in the name of Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, give you everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? We'll be here.